Hey, what's up? My name is Dusty Otis. I am the lead pastor here at The Grove in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for taking part of your day to be a part of this church, to engage in this message, and for supporting our ministry. It means more than you know. None of what we get to do happens without you. I pray that today's message speaks to your heart. I hope that it helps you move forward in your relationship with God, and I hope that you become just a little bit better in following Jesus because you took the time to listen today. Enjoy the message. The message is how to live a quiet life, part one, and it's out of 1 Thessalonians 4.11, because again, we read the Bible and do what it says, and it says, make it your ambition, your goal, to live a quiet and peaceful life. Most of us live lives that are noisy and distracted and stressful and dramatic, and we just go from one drama to the other, and sometimes we get so addicted to the drama that we're not used to just living a nice, quiet day where you go to bed and you go, wow. There was no drama in my life today. It was a regular day. Got up, did my thing, went to bed. That's where life is meant to be lived. Yes, we all have some drama occasionally, but if it's all the time for you, then trust Jesus, read the New Testament, do what it says. Now, last week it was uh, mind your own business. How many of you remembered that? Say aye. How many of you did it this week at least once? Say aye. Very good. Short version of of minding your own business is this. If you're not the cause or the solution, stay out of the problem. If you're not the cause or the solution, you just back off and say, hey, I'm not the cause, I'm not the solution. You need to find somebody that is. I told you about my grandmother that lived 112. She had her mind and was sane until the day she died. We asked her when she was 100 because we didn't know she was going to live 12 more years. What was the secret to a happy life? And she said, mind your own business and dig in the dirt. She always had flowers and vegetables going. She was a school teacher by trade, but always had gardens going in the summertime. This is dirt. Let me hear you say dirt. dirt. The Bible says to dig in the dirt. The Bible says to work with your hands. I'm going to teach you something today. Does anybody know anybody that's a scientific mind that has a really hard time accepting that there is a God? If you do, say I. Yeah, we all do. Because, I mean, honestly, you don't see him. He doesn't split the skies every day. You know, he designed things and he fills us with his spirit. But it's hard to, to get that hard evidence that says, yep, that is a God. There is a God. And he knows what he's doing. And I want to get in on his plan. Dig, mind your own business. Dig in the dirt. That was my grandmother's advice. Did you know that God dug in the dirt? Did you know God dug in the dirt? In Genesis chapter 2, which was written by Moses 3,400 years ago. It was written about 1,400 B.C. That's a long time ago. 2,000 years gets us back to B.C., then another 1,400 years gets us back to Moses. Moses goes up and down Mount Sinai. He's talking with the Lord, which would be Jesus or the Spirit, and he's finding out stuff. And I'm sure Moses said, hey, while we're talking, where did we come from? How did you, where, where, does, where does man come from? To which the Lord would say in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God formed man from the dirt in the ground. Let me hear you say, God made us from the dirt. Now, if I was Moses, I'd be looking and saying, this came from this, and this is dirt. You may not see it. I'll zoom in or whatever, but this is dirt from right out there on the construction site. 3,400 years, we had to accept by faith that God said he made man from dirt. For 3,400 years, preachers have had to stand up and say, we were made from dirt. We are dirt. To which everybody goes, no way. There's no dirt. You're you're really stretching it to say that this came from this. 150 years ago, 
the scientists of the world proved our faith once again. They discovered the elements of the earth. They discovered the elements of the body. The main elements of the body are oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen. I want you to repeat this after me. The main elements of our body are oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, and nitrogen. Now remember that, and you'll impress somebody this week. When you say, you know, we're just oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, and nitrogen, you get mad at somebody and say, you're just, you're just full of nitrogen. You're full of carbon, you know. But that's the elements of the human body, the elements of dirt. Oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen. 150 years ago, some scientists were figuring it all out, and they go, wow, people and dirt are made from the exact same elements. How do you get this, this magnificent, you can't see me behind the curtain, so how do you get a magnificent specimen like this? I pray in my new body, I'm as tall as Onyx, six, seven, six, eight, I'd like to be that. But how do you get this from this? The answer is God. God said, I made man from dirt a long time ago, and we found that out 150 years ago. So if you're wondering, how do I know God's true? Well, he's been saying he made us from dirt for 3,000 years, and we just found out that's true 150 years ago. Same with all the other stuff. I love science because science proves my faith. Amen? Amen. Now, let's get back to work in dirt. Are you ready? Say, I'm ready. Colossians chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, open them there. Uh, I think they'll be on the screen, but here we go. Colossians chapter 3. When Paul writes, he writes Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I always call them General Electric Power Company or Girls Eat Popcorn. That's how you remember them. (laughs) Paul is always heavy on the theology on the first couple of chapters and then heavy on the application on the last two chapters. So chapter 3 is one of those, set your eyes on heaven. Dusty's been talking to us about that. Live your life as as if you know you're going there. But then he gets practical about husbands and wives and raising kids and how kids ought to be with parents. And then he gets more practical and he talks about dirt, I mean work. So here's what the Bible says. If you said, okay, Robert, I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to read the New Testament. I'm going to do what it says. You have a job of some kind. We are put on this earth to work. God created us from dirt. God planted a, a, a garden. It was called the Garden of Eden. And then it says God put man in the garden to work and tend the garden. We are designed by God for fellowship or friendship with God, friendship with people, and work. Let me hear you say, friendship with God, friendship with people, and work. I'm retired, but I still work every day. I was talking to Bonnie a while ago. I have roses that I plant and I grow, and and I love working with my hands. We are not designed to do nothing. We're not designed to play video games the rest of our lives or watch TV or that. We are designed to work, do something that's helpful, that's beneficial to the world. All of us get that. At some point in our life, we know we need money to buy services from somebody else, so we provide work. Here's what the Bible says about work. We can read it together. It says slaves. Now, we don't have slaves anymore. Uh, We have employees. You go, yeah, slaves. (laughs) Not really, not the way it was, but when he's talking to slaves back then, you were indentured. I'm in a bad way. I need help, so you hire me on as an apprentice. I'm committed to work for you for a year or three years or five years. You teach me a trade. I work for you. That's the way work worked back then. If you were really good, you moved up in that circle, and if you were really bad, they let you go, and you tried it all over again. But it's employees as we understand it today. So I'll just say employees. Obey your earthly masters or bosses in a few of the things that you do. Obey your earthly bosses in 
everything you do. You say, you don't know my boss, but God does, and God knows you, and God says to you and to me, we're supposed to obey our bosses in everything we do. It says try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching. And here you thought all this time that sloughing off of work is a new thing. 2,000 years ago, people, when the boss is there, oh, we're sweeping, we're working, we're doing everything right. We push delete on the screen that we were playing games on because the boss comes in. You all know that, right? You know, know, what were you watching? I was working. You didn't always. But anyway, it says, in everything you do, work hard, even when they're not around or watching you. Not just when they're watching. It says, serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear for the Lord. How many of you are Christians? Say, I. Okay. You're supposed to work like a Christian. If you do this, then you will find that Christians will be the most sought-after employees in the marketplace. We ought to be. And I'm going to teach you how in a second. But we ought to be the ones that they go, well, I can't ask if you're a Christian or not, but what do you do on Sunday morning? Well, I go to church. Okay, that helps. If we're the believers and we take this to heart and we take it to our jobs tomorrow or tonight, whenever we work, here's what it says. You serve them as though you were serving the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. So Jesus, after you walk out of here, I know for some of you it's going to be tough, but Jesus is your boss. Uh, I mean, uh, Hunter, you'll have, where are you at? There you are. Hunter works for his older brother, Blake. And I just told Hunter that he's supposed to think of Blake as if he were Jesus. <laughs> little, little, he's got to fly all the way home with him, so... But, but they work together. But the Bible says, look, you, whether you have a good boss or a bad boss, God doesn't give us exception. He says, I don't care if your boss is good or bad, if you're a slave or if you're free or if you're an employee or whatever. He says, I want you to work for whoever your supervisor is as if they were Jesus telling you what to do. To which we humans go, but they're not Jesus. They're not even close to you. He said, I know, I get it. But I still want you to work in such a way as if they were. Do you see the... The the illumination of this, why do Christians succeed? Because we look at Jesus and say, okay, I'm working for you. Can't stand my boss. They're this and that, but I got to look at them like they're Jesus. So you do that work. Then it goes on to say the next verses. Work willing with you as though you're working for the Lord. Remember that the Lord gives you the inheritance as your reward. That's an eternal inheritance. But I'll also tell you from from reality, it's also a living inheritance. It's also improvement. When you do what the Lord says, your marriage improves, your finances improve, your health improves, your life improves. And when you do what God says in your work world, then your work life improves. And I'll I'll prove it to you in a second. He said, "You're, you're serving Christ. But I love verse 25. I almost thought about cutting it out, but... If you do what is wrong, you'll be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. How do you like that? Good or bad? All right. So that's how you work. Okay, take the slides off and put my pretty face back on there. Here it is. (laughs) All right, how do you work for the Lord? I'm going to give you four ways to apply this. And uh, I was going to put them on a slide, but you couldn't read them. Then I was going to put them on a whiteboard, but my handwriting is is really bad, so I'm better just to get you to repeat them. But four ways that we do this. First of all, let me explain what work is. Work is you providing a product or a service that people need or want for pay or purpose. Work is providing a product or a service that people need or want for payment or purpose. You say, well, I get the payment part, but what do you mean purpose? I'm retired. I volunteer at the hospital downtown in the ER. They don't pay me anything, 
but I show up, I work hard, I do my work there just as the Lord says to do, and I find purpose in it. If I didn't have some place to wake up and go to or someone to help, I would feel like I was disobeying the word because God says we are put on this ground to work. Whether I'm gardening, whether I'm mowing the yard or trimming the trees or preaching a sermon or caring for people or praying for people or working in the hospital, whatever I do, I do it heartily as unto the Lord because I know from the Lord is where the reward comes from. If you're with me, say I am. Okay, so what is your product or service? What do you do that the world needs and it gives you $15, $20, $30 an hour, $500 an hour, whatever you do, that's your product, that's your service. Now, here's a a business question that I preach a lot. Who's more valuable, the brain surgeon or the garbage collector? Who's more valuable to society, the brain brain collector? (laughs) Well, that's a rare one, but uh, the brain surgeon or the garbage collector? Yeah, if every brain surgeon died today, most of us wouldn't give it a second thought until we had brain cancer or something. If every garbage collector died or quit today, uh, for me, next Wednesday would be a bad day. Tuesday, Wednesday, we'd have the stuff. You say, okay, they're both valuable. Then why does a garbage collector get paid a fraction of the brain surgeon? It's called replaceability. It's easier to replace a garbage collector than it is a brain surgeon. Jobs and payments, it's not well, you're valuable or you're not. It's all based on if you quit today, how hard would it be to find your replacement tomorrow? We get paid on that basis. Whether you're educated or not, whatever it is you do, you do it hardly as under the Lord, realizing God gives the reward. You say, well, athletes, you know, they get paid 20 and 30, 40 million. Now, that's not right. Can you fill a stadium up with 70,000 people that are willing to pay hundreds of dollars to watch you? If I went there, you know, the janitors would be watching. We get paid on our replaceability. You know, if Russell Wilson gets hurt, why does a quarterback make so much? Because they're harder to replace than linemen and running backs and receivers. If you're there, say we're there. Okay, so that's the way the money thing works. That's economics 101, supply and demand. Now, back to work. How do you do the work that God has called you to do? Here we are. Number one, be thankful. I'm here you say, be thankful. Wake up tomorrow thinking, Lord, I got a job. Thank you. I got a company. They signed off. I know some of us have uh, felony backgrounds and stuff like that. And it's really tough to get a job when you've got a felony on your record. Fill out the application right there on the first page. Have you ever been convicted of a felony? Yes, you're out. I mean, it's a bad way. You've paid your debt to society, but somebody says, you know, sorry, we, we don't trust you or we don't want you. You said, that's not fair. Maybe it's not, but you just keep looking and knocking and asking and seeking. And eventually somebody says, man, that's great. You know, you've paid your debt to society. Come go to work for me. And when you get a job of any kind, you say, when you get a job of any kind that's willing to pay you for what you're going to do, you say, Thank you. You wake up, bless the Lord. You know, my soul, this is the day the Lord has made. I got a job. Thank you, Lord. I got a job that uh, I'm going to get paid for at the end of the week. I'm going to pay my bills, the electrical, the air conditioning, all of that. Be thankful. Let me hear you say, be thankful. thankful. I don't care what your job is. You say, I don't like my job. Didn't ask if you liked it. Just ask, are you thankful? Are you thankful you got a job? My first job was my birthday when I turned 15. I had worked mowing lawns and stuff like that. I think I've told you I had an abusive father. Whenever we wanted something, he made us work to pay for it. I want a stereo. Good. Go get a job and save your money. But Kevin, his parents got him one. Well, good for Kevin's parents. 
Well, John's parents, he got one. Well, good for you. If you wanted something, my dad said, you got to work for it. And he always offered me a job, mow my yard, you know, do all of that. So when I was 14, I was looking for work, couldn't get any everywhere I went. You're too young, too young, too young. Went to a theater, says, you got to be 15. Okay, so I waited three months on my birthday, got out of school, uh, celebrated my birthday with my mom, went down to the theater and said, hey, uh, I'm 15. They said, wow, you're serious. I said, yes, sir. They said, you're hired. I said, when do I start? They said, tomorrow. That was my first job. Since I was 15 and I'm now 65, I've never gone more than two weeks in my life without making money doing something. The jobs were not always great. They weren't always what I wanted, but they were always interesting, and they were always educational. I could give you a list of all the things I've done. I said, didn't like that one, that one, that one, that one, but I provided a service. They provided me income. I paid for food, shelter, clothing, and all of that. Always be thankful for your job. You say, well, I don't like my job. Didn't ask you if you liked it, but number one rule of Christian work is be thankful that you have a job. Let me hear you say, be thankful. thankful. All right. Number two, be early. Let me hear you say, be early. Early in the morning, the Lord woke up and he prayed. Early in the morning, I will seek the Lord. Be early at work. Now, I learned this when I was, uh, I guess, 18 or 19. Guess who shows up early at the job every day? The boss. I read uh, Michael Dell, the Dell computer guy. He was uh, from Austin area, and he was working in a Chinese restaurant. And he said he got there early, and he noticed the boss always got there early. And so he made it a point to be there early with the boss. All he did was, you know, bussing tables at 15, 16. But he was working. It must have had an abusive father like I did. You know, you got to go to work. But he was working, and he said, I noticed the boss was always there. You and I, there's an old saying, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. And if you're late, you're fired. He said, that's kind of cruel. How hard is it to be 15 minutes early? You show up to the job, you show up in the parking lot, the doors don't open till you get there, then sit in your car, listen to the music. When the boss gets there, you get there. How do you move forward in your working situation? By showing up early. Why? Because that's when the boss shows up early. You show up early a few days, a few weeks, all the time, somebody notices. The people that work with you, they say, oh, are you brown-nosing, trying to move ahead? And you say, nope, just showing up early because Christians get to work early. Learn that this Sunday. Be early. Let me hear you say be early. be early. Now, what is early to you? One minute before the clock starts? Five minutes. Ten minutes. Twenty. Whatever early is to you. For me, early is 15 minutes. I always figure there's a 15-minute window to hit traffic or whatever. So I tried to be wherever I was at 15 minutes before everything happened whether it's shows or movies or work or anything else, if I'm picking you up, you can count on my car being in your part in your driveway about 15 minutes early. It's just the way I am. You say, why are you like that? I read the Bible and I did what it said, and I found out being early works a whole lot better than being late. R- agreed? Number three, never complain. Ooh. You know what I like about that song we just sang, the one I didn't know? I'm watching the words. And during those verses, one of the verses was, I will never complain. And then the other verse, I will be grateful to what the Lord has done. And I thought, wow, Lord, I wrote it down. I thought, a little divine moment for your old pastor right here. There I'm singing a song I never heard before, and it's covering two points that I'm preaching today. One is never complain. The other is be grateful. Let me hear you say never complain. Philippians chapter, I think it's three or four. It says, uh, do all things without grumbling or complaint. Do all things without grumbling or complaint. I was uh, started a church many years ago. We were meeting in June in San Antonio, and I remember driving up. We were in a park on a Sunday night, 
I remember driving up, listening to the radio, and it says, well, it's a new record for San Antonio today. It's 106 degrees. And it's, it's that way right now in San Antonio. We got out. We were soaking wet with sweat. I preached. People brought sliced watermelons. We had church. And guess what I preached on that night? Do all things without grumbling or complaint. Soaking wet, sweating, hot, all of that. But this is church. We're together. God designed us for friendship with him, friendship with each other, and work to do the things for the glory of God. So number three is never complain. Uh, you're going to be working, we all do, and everybody complains about the boss. That's just natural. Although the Bible says never complain about the boss because a little bird will take what you say and fly away and whisper it into your boss's ear. Don't get in those conversations. Everybody's complaining. They don't pay us enough. This is too hard. We're not getting paid what this is worth, all of that stuff. Same thing as last week, back out of that conversation. How do you turn that conversation around? Don't like the boss, don't like the work, don't like the heat. Then you start with point number one. Man, I'm thankful I got a job. May not be the best job in the world, but it is a job and I'm thankful for it and I will give it all I've got. I'm not going to get caught in the complaining about this or that, who's good, who's bad, and all of those things. Let me hear you say, never complain. complain. And the last one, my favorite, work smart. You hear you say, work smart. All right, one more time. Thankful? Oh, wait, there they are. How do it work? Here we go. Say it together. Number one, be thankful. Number two. Number three. Number four. Now, you say, well, you mean work hard. No, I mean work smart. See, hard work, you know, gets you only so far. Work smart gets you a lot further. Two flies want to get out that window on their way after church today. One, they're both buzzing around on the glass trying to get out. They're both buzzing really hard. They're going and they're going and they're going and we say goodbye. Tomorrow morning, uh, one fly had found another way out. He got out the door and he's gone. There's only one fly and guess what condition he's in on the sill. He's dead. Why? He worked hard, yeah, but working hard isn't where you want to be. Working smart is. Working smart means you're going to work hard, but it also means maybe there's another way to do this. Maybe there's a better way to be efficient. Maybe there's something else. Let me hear you say work smart. Work smart is in, it includes hard work, but it also includes efficient work. Is there a better way to dig this ditch or to serve this thing or to load these boxes into crates and all of that stuff? Working hard is working hard. Everybody works hard because that's what we're supposed to do. Working smart says, hey, is there a better way to do this? Is this the optimal way? I had a friend who used to run the, uh, the Toyota plant in San Antonio, Dan Antis. Dan, if you're watching today, you still make a great illustration. He gave me the grand tour of the Toyota plant. All your Toyota Tundras and Tacomas came from there. And I got a full day, looked at everything. Here's a bonus question. What do you think the most expensive part of a car is? Say it. Transmission? Engine? Tires? Computer chips? Most expensive part of a car is the paint. The paint is the most expensive part of the car. And he showed me a deal, and they had canisters, and he said there were tubes that used to run to that. And some guy that was in the paint department said, you know, we're wasting a lot of paint in those tubes. Every time we switch colors, there's gallons of stuff. And so he figured out how to do the canister. He said he made a huge bonus, and he saved us millions of dollars because that's the most expensive part because he's doing it all day, every day, working hard. Yeah, but working smart, man. We're throwing away gallons of tubes, paint in the tubes, and they designed a canister that sprayed it like that and saved them millions of dollars. Work hard? Yeah. Work smart? That's better. 
Find an efficient way to do everything. If Toyota, and I'm sure every other manufacturer does the same thing, here's the way we do it. If you see a better way to do it, where we can save five seconds or 10 seconds, we're making 200,000 trucks a year, so we're saving some money. If you do that, that's working smart. I looked at the plant, and I was walking, and he wasn't with me, and I looked, and I said, you like your job? Love it. You like working for Toyota? Love it. Everybody was happy. There was one engine, a Toyota uh, Tundra, that I bolted down. I said, can I try it? He said, sure. Got the engine down, did that, did the bolt. Don't know who's driving that truck right now, but I'm proud to say somebody has a Toyota Tundra that I put the engine into. This guy does that all day, every day, but he loves his work. He does it hard. He gets there early. He loves his company, and he's always thinking, is there a better way to do what I'm doing? That's working smart. And then volunteering. Whenever there's a job at the office or something, and it's always the one that nobody wants to do. It's why they're needing volunteers. All you say is, I only got one person that said that. Uh, yeah, there. <laughs> a fellow worker, a guy that's learned the hard way. If there's a job at work, it's working the late shift, it's cleaning the toilets, it's doing something that nobody else wants to do. We need somebody to do this. The answer is always, the answer is always, and I'll show you why and how in just a minute. But look for the opportunities to volunteer because everybody else will find a reason not to do that, and they'll tell you why you shouldn't do that. But that's not the way Christians work. Christians get there early. They're thankful they have a job. They never complain about the boss, the equipment, or anything else. They just do their work hard and smart, and then they look for opportunities that they have. And the end result is, uh, working smart, they move up the ladder of success. Everybody has jobs that they've loved, and everybody has jobs that they don't. Doesn't matter whether you like it or not, whether you're a slave or an employee. The Bible says whatever your hand finds to do, do it heartily with all of your might because you know the Lord is the one that gives you the reward. Does this stuff work? Yes or no? Yes. Uh, you don't sound convinced. Does this yes. stuff work? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, I'll tell you my story. I was 19 one year out of my freshman year at A&M looking for a summer job back in San Antonio. And the only job I could get was construction. So I went to work for the Truss and Component Company in San Antonio, Texas. Hired on, got there early. They said, be here at 6 o'clock. I said, well, work doesn't start till 7.30, but we're 90 minutes away from the job. And I said, do they pay us while we're driving? They said, yes. I said, I'm liking this job already. Get there, get in the van, sleep in the back seat, get to the job site. We were building chicken houses, 400-foot-long chicken houses in Gonzales, Texas. It was hot, it was humid, 400 feet is a football field and a third. Chicken houses, fryer houses, just metal roofs, you know, that stuff, and so we're there. I'm a grunt. I'm a, the new guy. I'm loading wood, loading metal roof, and all that stuff. I'm grunting, I'm doing my thing, because that summer, the Lord got a hold of my heart, and I told the Lord in May, I'm going to read your word, and if I understand it, I'm going to try to live it. And in the course of that summer, the Lord showed me Colossians 3, just like I showed it to you which basically be early, be nice, never complain, work smart. And I said, Lord, help me to do that. And so I'm riding out there with all the seasoned construction people. I'm the grunt, grunting around, grunting around, putting metal roofs on. My boss says, Emmett, can you, can you apply, can you do metal roofing? I said, yes. yes. Never metal roofed in my life, but yeah, sure, I can do that. It's a whole lot more fun being up there in the wind than it is down here. So yeah, I can do that. So I'm up there and the guys are looking at me and they say, you don't have a, you don't have a roof. I said, well, I will if you teach me. Said, All right, here's what to do. And it was, you know, so I'm metal roofing. 
and got the tan of a lifetime because the sun beats down on the metal roof and comes up. I mean, it was like you know, the beach tan. Anyway, <laughs> we're doing that. Now, there's a bunch of, there's 400-foot chicken houses, just, and that's what we're supposed to build. We're up there metal roofing and having fun. We're getting towards the end. The boss comes along and says, I need an auger operator. I looked at my buddies. I said, what, 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 the, what is an auger operator? I said, well, they drill the post holes because there's 400 feet of post holes this way, that way, this way, that way. And I said, wow. And they said, no, you don't want it. You don't want it. It's hot. It's dirty. It's sweaty. Uh, you'll smell like a diesel engine, you know, the rest of the week. And uh, I waved and I said, I can do it. And the guy said, you can drive an auger. I said, yes, sir. And uh, got down and took me over to the tractor and the auger. And I got in there and and I'm um, looking around for the start switch. I couldn't figure it out. He comes over. I said, I thought you could drive the auger. I said, well, I can. I just don't know how to start it. <laughs> and so he does this, this, step on the button. <clears throat> there it goes. And so for the, I'm drilling holes all day, every day, down, up, down, up. But I'm getting a skill. We get all the poles set, the poles dug, and then uh, the guy says, we need a load of trusses, an 18-wheeler, tractor trailer, we need trusses. And he says, Emmett, can you drive a tractor trailer? I said, yes, sir. <laughs> Let me tell you, the first time you drive one, you drive it real slow because it's uh, no training or anything. But yes, sir, I can do it. He says, okay, go back to the shop, pick up the trusses, bring them back. So I did that, learned how to drive you know, big trucks and trailers on there, loading them all out. And then he says, Emmett, can you drive a high-lift fork? You know, something that takes them off and lifts them up. I said, yes, sir. By now, I know how to operate a tractor, so I'm putting the forks and putting the trusses all along 1,400-feet houses. And with each of these yes, sirs, my pay increased about 25 cents an hour. You said, 25? You mean four hours for $1? This was 1976. Okay, it's a little different. But I'm driving this tractor, and I'm setting these trusses, and everything's working really good. It's the, then he says, can you frame? Framing's a, a skilled labor. And, of course, I said, yes, because yes. I've learned in the job, ask whoever looks like the way they know what they're doing, how do I frame? So I started at the bottom, cutting, fitting, building the, all the components of framing, and so we're framing. And then after I framed, he said, can you roof? Eight four-by-eight sheets on the roof. Yes, sir. So we're roofing. Then we're building apartments before the summer's over. Massive apartments, framing, roofing, having a blast. It's the most fun job on earth is framing. And then he says, he called me Aggie because he knew I'd gone to Texas A&M. He said, Aggie, can you set forms? I know what a form setter is. That's the guy that lays out the concrete, ties the steel. It is, a, it is the miserable job in construction. He said, Aggie, can you set forms? I said, no, I said, no, sir. <laughs> I've been up high enjoying life watching the form setters. <laughs> I didn't want to mess with concrete and steel and all that. So he said, I'll show you how. I said, I don't really want to learn. He said, you're going to learn anyway. So I became the form setter. And I've got a crew under me. And the guys are like 40 years old digging ditches and all of that. I'm 19. I said, man, you ought to be the, the supervisor. And of course, the supervising job got me a, an extra dollar for being the form setter. I said, you guys do that. And no way. I said, why? You know more than I do. Well, you wait till poor day. I said, what happens on poor day? He said, well, if you blow out a corner, you'll see bad things happen. I'm pouring my first slab. And sure enough, thing pops out, concrete pours all over, and my supervisor was not nearly as kind and gracious to me. He says, Aggie, you got one. I said, how many do I get? He said, one. <laughs> so from that day on, everything, and I'm laying out concrete forms all over the place, every corner. I mean, it was double and triple supported and all that. That made me a supervisor, and then the summer was over. Listen to me. 
You show up early, you be nice, you never complain, and you work smart. I went from a grunt as soon as school was out to a supervisor, form-setting supervisor, in three months. You say, wow, you must really be good in construction. No, I'm just good at working. Why? Because the Lord says, here's how you do it. Whatever you do, do it heartily with all of your might, as if you were working for the Lord, not for people. I don't care if you don't like the job. I don't care if it's 106 degrees, if it's tiring, if you got blisters, if you're covered with dirt and dust and diesel. Whatever it is you do, do it heartily with all of your might. After the end of the summer, my dad said, did you learn anything? I said, yes, sir. He said, what? I said, I learned I don't want to go into construction. <laughs> Truck driving was a lot of fun, but ended up going and doing other things. So let me tell you, along the road of life, you try everything you can. And you trust the Lord to open the doors where he opens them. And when you go through, then you do your work as unto the Lord. Uh, Julie and I were married. We had two kids. I was out of, in seminary. It was a few recessions ago. We were living in Weatherford with her parents for a little while, and then we were trying to build a little house to rebuild. And I could, like I said, never went two weeks without getting a job. I'm 24, 25. I'm educated. I'm in Weatherford, Texas. And I'm thinking, I need a job and couldn't find one, went to the industrial plant, knocked on every door at the industrial plant where they manufacture stuff, walked into the last one, it was called Power Service, and uh, the secretary was there and said, are y'all hiring? She goes, no. I said, well, can I apply anyway? She said, well, we're not hiring. I said, I know, but I just want to leave my application in case you change your mind. And she, I fill it out, and uh, she says, just a minute. And uh, she says, you're in seminary. I said, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. And she goes to the back, comes back out, and she says, Mr. Kramer will see you. I said, uh, who's Mr. Kramer? She said, he's the owner of the company. I walk in, there's this old man, and he's gruff, and he's sitting back in his chair. And uh, he said, you want a job? I said, uh, yes, sir. He said, you're going to stay with us? I said, well, honestly, no, sir. I'm here in seminary, and I'm you know, just kind of working my way through, but I'll give you the best I got while I'm here. He said, you're a seminary boy? I said, uh, yes, sir. He says, you're a Christian. I, I said, yes, sir. He said, so I guess you want Sundays off? I said, well, I, I would prefer it, but if that doesn't come with the deal, you know, I'll, I'll work Sundays if I have to. He says, all right. He says, but you're going to be leaving after you finish seminary. I said, yes, sir. Well, like I said, I'll give you my best. And he says, okay, when can you start? I said, tomorrow. And he says, you're hired. And he reached out and he said, I'm Al Kramer, chairman of the deacons at the First Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. And I looked at him, he just died laughing. I said, you, 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 he said, I just having fun with you. <laughs> but I worked there in manufacturing. And then I saw a guy with a nice suit coming and going. I asked the buddy, who's that? Well, he's the guy that sells his stuff. I make it and box it. He's selling it. So I connected with him. He said, I'm not hiring. I called the next week, the next week, the next week. About the fourth week, he said, I just lost a sales rep. When can you start? I said, I can start tomorrow. Here's where you work. I'm telling you, as a Christian, doesn't matter what job you're in or doing. You keep asking, seeking, and knocking, and when the door opens up, you say, thank you, Lord, for a job. Whatever it pays, whatever I do, I'm grateful to you because work is what you put us on this earth to do. And then you work mightily with your hands, never complaining about your boss or the situation or other employees, always being grateful, and always working smart. Hard, yes, but smart, says, is there a better way to do what we're doing? That's the secret. Lord, how do we work? I taught you. Colossians chapter 3. Do you work heartily as unto the Lord?
because the Lord gives you those 25 cent raises, this raise, this raise, this sale, this presentation, this aha moment. I can't believe that I got this dream job of a lifetime. Thank you, Lord, for work. Thank you so much for joining us today. It means more than you know to have you with us. And to all of you who partner with us and support the mission of our church, thank you. We cannot be the church without you. Go ahead and click the link in the description to partner with us now, or you can visit thegrovefc.com forward slash partner. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a minute to like and subscribe. And if you know someone who would benefit from hearing this message, share it with them. This is how the gospel goes forward. Thanks again for being here today. God bless you.